You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Morning, gang. So, I heard the Cougs won. I don't know if you guys knew that. There were some people in town and stuff. I don't know. You might have been vaguely familiar with this. Uh, the Vandals also won. Anybody, any Vandal fans? Careful. I think it's allowed. I think you're just not allowed to be a Huskies fan. I think that's the Pullman rule, right? I'm still learning. I think that's the rule. Hey, what you guys uh, might not know is there's also something else going on this weekend that's even like, to me, and you'll feel this way too, you can't help but feel this way, like way more exciting than game day and WSU and all that cool stuff. That was fun and and it was awesome, but there's something even cooler going on this weekend. Uh, Aaron and Kelly are up in Post Falls and they are uh, a part of the Post Falls Church this weekend. uh, Kelly's helping lead worship and Aaron's team teaching with Jim. And this weekend marks the 20 year anniversary since the birth of Real Life Ministries pretty cool. So what's really neat is this weekend now, because a handful of families got together and started praying for a church, um, we know all these families really well. They're good friends of ours. And and they, they got together and literally started sitting in their living room in their backyard and started praying for a church that would reach lost people. That was the heart and the drive behind them beginning and praying and seeking. And God brought Aaron and Jim, and Aaron and Jim and their families, along with a handful of families, were the first small group ever that was the birth of Real Life Ministries. And from there, it grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. And uh, a lot of years, it's felt like having a tiger by the tail, having no idea what we were doing, uh, and learning on the fly very much. And it's been huge and amazing, an amazing, amazing story. That The thing that's really cool is as it's grown, there's now seven independent real life ministry church plants that many of those seven church plants actually have multiple campuses like we do here on the Palouse. Um, this weekend, there is uh, close to 30,000 people in real life churches for Sunday service throughout the Northwest and even down in Texas. Pretty cool. Pretty, pretty cool stuff. So, I mean, it's awesome that people show up for game day and we have a blast at WSU and all that. That is fun. But, like, to know that because of some, the faithfulness of a handful of people, there's now close to 30,000 people, not to mention thousands more reached in all of those communities is pretty awesome stuff. We are a part of something way bigger than what we know is going on here on the Palouse in a good way. So very cool. Hey, uh, a lot of you know also that we are in our... Uh, vision series, and we're reminding ourselves as a church what our vision is, like what we're all about here at Real Life. And our vision is the same now as it always has been. It's to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. And the way we want to do that, the strategy, the how-to, is summed up in our purposes of a, as a church. So those purposes are on those boards that you see every week when you come to church. Over in Moscow, we plastered them down the whole side of the wall when inside the building because we want to be reminded 
reminded all the time of why we exist, what we're all about, right? In the beginning of the series, we talked about share, that uh, our first purpose is to share Christ with people who are far from him. And so we talked about people that are hardwired as evangelists and just naturals at it. And then the rest of us who learn to share God uh, and share our faith along the way, like lifestyle evangelism. And then we talked last week about connect, the second purpose of our church, that we exist to connect people to God and each other and also to the greater purpose, right? And so we talked about connecting people to God and each other. And then we really spent a lot of time talking about home groups and how home groups are tailor-made to help you connect to God and each other, right? And so if you missed either one of those, uh, I would encourage you to jump online and take a listen and get caught up. Because this morning, we are jumping in to our third purpose as a church, and that's summed up with the word minister, okay? Now, here's the thing that's tricky about the word minister. It can be a noun or a verb. So when you say minister, some people automatically think of the noun version of the word, right? Let's take a look at a uh, definition of it. Minister, uh, defined as a noun, is a person authorized to conduct religious worship, a uh, member of the clergy or a pastor, or a person that's authorized to administer the sacraments like at a mass or a service, right? So that, that's all accurate and true. Like that sums up what a minister is. For me and for other people, for me especially, I didn't grow up in church and I didn't grow up around religious people. I didn't have any religious tradition at all in my life or my family. So my definition or understanding of what minister is was shaped almost exclusively by my involvement in real life over the years as a part of our church. So when I hear minister, I hear minister as a verb. Let's take a look at what that means. To give service, care, or aid, attend as to the wants or necessities. So, I'm not trying to say that one's true and one's not. They're both true. But for us as a church, when we talk about our third purpose, to minister to people in the church and the world, when we talk about minister, I want you to have come to mind regular people like yourselves, coming to the aid, serving, meeting needs of other regular people, right? I want you to think of that verb sense of the word. So, because as we talk about it, one of the things that can happen is when we say minister, if people think of, they automatically have the, the guy the guy that works at the church or the guy that's on the stage or the, the person that's the job minister, then you can sort of check yourself out from the responsibility or the opportunities to minister, to serve and come to people's aid and to meet their needs and to come alongside other people. So as a church, one of the things that we are all about is helping our team, you guys, helping our team learn how to minister to people in our church and in the world. So we do training on that. We create opportunities for that. We create places for you to practice it. We spur you on towards it. That's part of why we exist is to help cultivate this attitude of ministry amongst our team and our family, right? Jesus did the exact same thing. We didn't learn anything new. We're just copying what he did. Jesus, with his disciples, 
gave them opportunities to play along the way. He gave them places to play, places to practice meeting the needs of other people. In fact, he even tried to like prompt them to start being more aware of the needs of people around them. I want to read a passage with you, and it's a passage we're familiar with because we look at it and often talk about the miracle that's performed. This morning when you look at it, I want you to think about the ways that the disciples were invited in and given a place to play or a way to practice meeting needs of people. Let's take a look at it. It's in John. John 6 goes like this. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples, and the Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said, Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother, he spoke up. He said, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. And when they had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather all the pieces that are left over and let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them up and filled the 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves and the leftovers by those who had eaten. Jesus takes everyday opportunities, practical situations that he's in with his disciples, and he does some cool things here. He, number one, starts asking them questions like, hey, there, you see there's sort of a big need that's about to be going on here. Like, people are going to get hungry. What are we going to do about it? What do you guys think? And he invites them in to, like, help solve the problem, right? And then he lets them have some ownership in it. Like in this particular example, they just do some really simple, practical things like help hand out food. Get a whole crowd of people to sit down and get them communicated with and coordinated. They clean up the leftovers. They help serve the people and gather what was left, right? Jesus is great at using everyday opportunities, everyday situations to help people have a an idea of how to serve, right? It's a very rabbi thing to do in a teaching style. They, they use the things that are around them to help illustrate the lesson or to be a metaphor as a part of their teaching. In the same way, they give opportunities to help their disciples learn how to serve and meet the needs of other people based on what happens to be going on in their surroundings, right? Another cool example of this, Jesus doing this, can be found in John uh, also in chapter 4. Let's look at it. He says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So here's a cool thing Jesus is the guy doing all the healing, he is restoring people's sight. He is causing limbs to work that didn't work before. He is healing mental illness, casting out demons. How awesome would it have been to be baptized by the guy that made your blind eyes see? Like, that's cool. 
guess what he didn't do? He didn't become the superhero guy that did it all. Like he, he healed people and he drew these great crowds to him and they were curious. Was he really who he said he was? And then as people got to the point where they were like, I want to commit to follow you. Like I want to be one of your disciples. I want to put my faith and trust in you. He would defer that opportunity to serve those people and to help them come to faith in him to his disciples. And so he would, it says specifically that it wasn't him that was doing the, the baptizing, it was his disciples. So he gave them the opportunity to baptize the other people. Now, so he goes on and gives them these opportunities to serve and meet the needs of people around them. Now James, uh, I love the book of James because James is a say it how it is kind of guy. And in, the, in one particular instance, James really calls it out. He says, essentially, if you know of people that have needs and uh, real physical stuff, like practical things that they need help with, like food or clothes, and you don't do anything about it, um, that's not good. It's a no bueno. He goes on to say it like this. Take a look at what he says. He says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Right? If we know that people have needs, right? We're not talking like just out there, like we could, there's an unlimited supply of things, but like real stuff, right? Real things that we think that we have the means to help with and we just kind of do a drive-by or a walk-by or a ignore. James is reminding us that should sort of be a gut check on our faith, like what's really going on with us? That should be a conversation between you and the Lord to like check in. Did I miss that one? Was I off God or was that, am I okay? It should be something that gives us pause that we actually really care about, right? I know uh, being the recipient of uh, being served and cared for and having my needs met and, and receiving help feels really good to be on the receiving end, right? And not only does it feel good, but it does something else that's, if you're a guy, I don't think any guy likes it, probably not any person sometimes, but it's a good thing. It humbles us when other people help you in a good way, not like a disciplined way, a good humbling when other people help you. But it does something else in addition to that. It like wells up in your heart a desire to pass that feeling on. Like you want when someone serves you and loves you and blesses you and helps you, you can't hardly help but want to do that for someone else, right? I don't know, uh, a lot of you guys probably know Lanny and I bought uh, a fixer-upper house in Pullman. Turned out to be a little bit of an understatement, um, fixer-upper. So good news, we're sticking around. Because the amount of work we put into this, if we ever move, my wife will kill me. So I'm pretty much in for life at this point. This house we bought had not been lived in for eight years. No human had touched it for eight years. Prior to that, 
No human had touched it for 10 years before they moved out of it. Like the neighbors said they didn't know there was a house there because there were so many trees that had grown around the entire house disappeared. There was no yard. There was a forest with a house somewhere buried in the middle of it. And everything in it was terrible. And I, being the master at taking on more than I can handle, I mean, I am awesome at biting off more than I can chew. Like, it's my number one skill. I'm so good at it. Um, I decided that this was a four-week project. (laughs) Being it in a month in my spare time after work. Um, Turns out after about a week of no sleep, you really need sleep, right? So what has happened is people have come alongside us and helped us immensely. We have received so much help and been so blessed by people that just said, hey, I know you have a need even though you don't know how big your need is. Like, (laughs) I can see that. That's a six-month remodel, pal. Good luck in a month, right? (laughs) And they have just come and helped, like loaned equipment and put in labor and time and effort and trips to the dump and all, I mean, just all kinds of stuff. The amount of paint that has gone into this house would paint a line from here to Spokane and back. Like it needed a lot of paint, right? And receiving that help is such a blessing and a cool thing. Sometimes in the church, what can happen is there are needs that are obvious, and there are needs that are not so obvious. Sometimes it's easy to see some dumb guys trying to make four-week remodel out of a six-month project, like, and you're like, ooh, he's going to need some help. Other times, you have no idea what the need is because it's, you're just not aware of it. And that very same thing happened in the early church. There were needs that became uh, uh, the, the church... The disciples became aware of these needs, and they had to figure out how to deal with them, right? Take a look in Acts chapter 6. Uh, you guys are probably familiar with this. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews. I know it's weird. Church people were complaining. This never happens, ever, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of the food. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said... It will not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of the faith of the Holy Spirit, also Philip and Procurius and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So what happened is there was a need in the church that the church leadership at the time became made aware of. They were like, hey, we, this is a problem. We need to deal with it. And so they rallied the troops to figure out how to solve the problem. Now, that same type of stuff still happens today. 
In our church, there are all kinds of obvious ways to serve and minister to the people in our church and in our community. There's things like children's ministry that we talked about several weeks ago, getting involved in that. There's things like youth ministry and college ministry, and there's things like home groups and, and different women's studies and men's studies that you can lead or host or participate. There's all sorts of obvious stuff where we can see how there are different places to play and be a part of serving other people. And then there are places where maybe you didn't even know it was a need. And so it goes unmet, not necessarily because nobody is willing to meet it, but just because nobody knew, right? And there's also things going on in our community where there are opportunities and God is doing amazing things and giving us great opportunity to serve some unique people in our community. And probably you don't know about it. So this morning, part of what I want to do is share with you about three specific areas in our church that we need help. And I'm not, it's not a guilt trip at all or anything like that. It's probably that there are people here that are willing to do it and have the right skills and would be blessed to serve in those capacities. They just didn't know it was a need. So I want to share those with you, and I also want to share with you what God is up to in our community and how we as a church can team up and be a part of it. So inside the church, a couple of things, three things in particular that maybe you're not aware of. So if you can help with one of these, you would write it on your card and hand me the card or my wife or throw it in the buckets or whatever, but make sure that it's... um, we were at a marriage conference this weekend, and one of the things that the guy said was that um, girls do this uh, communication thing that's not actually communication in a logical man's brain. They do things like hint, um, you know, like driving down the road going, man, I was thinking about getting a cup of coffee before we went to that deal. And I'm like, I don't really want any coffee. And drive right by the coffee shop with a mad wife next to me, right? She's like, I th- how come you didn't stop at the coffee shop? You didn't say you wanted a cup of coffee. You didn't ask me to stop. You said you were thinking about it, right? So, no hints on the cards. Not, I was thinking about, like, that sparked my mind. And you're thinking, how come you didn't call me? I said I would help with that. No, like, make it really obvious for guys like me. All right? So, one thing is we need help behind the scenes in the office throughout the week. We are a small team in Pullman, and we are now ministering, pastoring, shepherding, doing leadership development, investing in well over 500 people that are a part of our Pullman campus alone. We have more home groups going now. When you see Terry, give that dude a high five. We have more home groups going right now than we have ever had in Pullman which is awesome, but it's a bunch of work behind the scenes. So we need people that have office skills, administrative skills that are available during the day for various times and you know, whatever you can do. If that's something that you're interested in and can help with, let us know, okay? Second thing we need help with, our worship band up here. Uh, we have one drummer um, and we have one electric guitar player. We have a lot of people that are involved in our worship band, and we're always inviting new people to be a part of it, but for whatever reason, and just the season, and just the way things are right now, we have one drummer and one electric guitar player. It means they're here every Sunday. They're here at setup, first thing in the morning, and they're here until the last piece of equipment leaves this church every single Sunday, those two guys are. And they're at every practice. They're a part of every 
thing, which means they're not allowed to get sick or vacation ever, right? So we love them and we love their devotion, but we need another drummer and we need another electric guitar player. So those are some things that maybe people weren't aware of is a real need in our team and on our church. So if you drum or play guitar, uh, let us know. If you know an awesome Christian that does and needs a, a home to be a part of, invite them here. All right? So third thing and last thing inside the church that we need help with that probably people aren't aware of is we need help really specifically. We need people that have video making skills, right? that can film, edit, produce videos, stuff to help us with the things we do on Sunday services, the things we do on social media, on Instagram, throughout the community. Like collectively as a church, we're ministering to 1,500, 2,000 people a Sunday and thousands beyond that in our community, in our county. And media is a great way to meet people where they're at in the world that they live in every day. And we need help to continue to communicate a good message to our church and our community. So if that's something you have skills with or know someone who is skilled, help us with those things, okay? Now, in our community, God has kind of pulled the curtain back on something really awesome for us to be a part of. I want to tell you a little bit about it and how it came to be. I shared some at Church in the Park this summer when it was like, brand new, and we were just first kind of getting familiar with the idea. I'm excited today because I get to share with you like how God's brought this along and what opportunity is before us as a team, as a family, and we're ready to move on it. Like, like there is actionable steps that we can take starting today, which is really cool. So about six months ago or so, the folks out at the Department of Family and Health Services which for me growing up was always called CPS. It's the same thing. I don't even know if I have the name exactly right, but you guys get what I'm talking about. They do caseworkers that work with families that are separated from their kids for various reasons. They reached out to us and, and they, we kind of wanted to have a collaborative meeting to go, who are you as a church? And who are you guys as an organization in our community? Let's get to know each other, what each other does, because we sort of feel like we kind of care about people in a similar way. Like we really love and, and care about people. And so we were, as we met and talked, we're like, we 100% we love and care about people. Our whole business is people business. And our heart's desire as a family is to come alongside other people and help them restore what sin has broken in their lives and to become whole and to work through the junk from their life that they have, right? Like that's, that's the kind of family we are. We want to be that for people. And they're like, wow, we need to be more, we need to connect with you more because we have a lot of people that need people that love them and care about them. And so what we learned through this process is that at any given time in Whitman County, not Idaho, not Moscow, nowhere else, Whitman County, at any given time, there's 25 to 40 or more families that have had their kids taken out of their home for a variety of reasons, okay? That ends up making up uh, anywhere from 25, 30 to 60, 70 kids at any given time that have been removed from their home and placed in foster care. 
Now, that has all kinds of implications the more we talked about it, because what it does is it has immediate implications for the family. It has immediate implications for the kid that's been removed from the home and placed into a foster home with a family they don't know and have never met. But it also has implications for their friends they played with in the neighborhood, because their friend that used to be there the next day isn't. It has implications in their schoolwork, in their classroom. It has implications for their family network, for the parents that are involved, even though they oftentimes have done stupid things and made huge mistakes to get to the spot where their kids are removed. It leaves them with guilt and shame and tons of consequences. Hard stuff happens. And so as we talked to him, we learned that when this process starts, three things happen next. One of the things that happens next is that the kids are put into foster homes. The kids, as they're put into foster homes, one of the problems we have in Whitman County is there's not enough foster families in Whitman County. So frequently, kids that live in Pullman and have only ever lived here and gone to school here are removed from their home and sent to Spokane to be with a foster family. Another thing that happens is the parents begin uh, partnering with a caseworker in Whitman County that starts working through the process with them of getting their junk together. A lot of times it involves drug and alcohol rehabilitation. It involves like serious stuff. It's, it's hard work. And they start working through the process of uh, restoring their family, getting their act together, dealing with hard issues. And then the third thing that happens, as the parents get further along in the process, they get to a spot where they're able to start having supervised visitation with their kids. Now, I've heard of it before. Prior to this experience, I really didn't know what supervised visitation was, to be honest with you. I kind of had an idea in my head, and I can tell you right now I was wrong. Let me tell you what it is. What happens is... A separate company that's a nonprofit that, that advocates, that works on behalf of the kids, has full-time employees. There are probably seven or eight full-time paid jobs of people that do this for a living in our county. They are the one that gets to pick up the kid from the foster house. The parents don't get to know where that kid is. They get to meet at a pre-assigned location, oftentimes only once a week or less in the beginning, and sometimes it's a couple hours, sometimes it's five or six hours at a time, and then as they progress, they get more visits a week. The supervisor is there doing their job, what they're trained to do and what they're supposed to do to act on behalf of the best interest of the kid to make sure the parents are ready to regain and restart caring and providing for their kids. So the supervisor if you're the kid, is there for your looking out for you. If you're the parent, it feels like the vice principal showed up to look at your over your shoulder. The supervisor literally is required to take notes and make observations while this visit is going on. You've gone through all sorts of stuff. You might have put it on yourself. You did your own dumb choices, but you're working to get your kids back and you're, you're sitting together as someone observes and writes and critiques. 
Now here's the really sucky thing. There's two places that these visits take place 95% of the time in Whitman County. Number one is the McDonald's Playland. Put yourself in their shoes. You get to see your kids once a week and you're going to do six hours in the McDonald's Playland. If you're the best mom or dad on earth, you will want to slit your wrist after six hours in the McDonald's Playland. <laughs> I don't care who you are. Now put someone looking over your shoulder, wondering what they're writing. The other place it happens is out in Whitman County next to the Family and Health Services building. There's another office there. It is run down. It is not fancy. It is, they meet in cubicles that none of you would work in if you were paid to. It's junk. Oftentimes, multiple families in a six-foot-by-six-foot six cubicle for their four, five, six-hour visit. Nowhere to change diapers, nowhere to feed, nowhere to provide a meal or cook for them with someone watching them trying to see if they know how to be a family with them. Is a broken system. There are right people in right places that love and care about people, but the way it works stinks. And as we started having conversations with these people, we started going, what could we do as a church? Because you know what we care about as a church? We care about families being restored. We care about people getting to know what it looks like to have someone love and serve and care about you. Like we want people to tangibly experience Jesus people being Jesus to them. Especially people that are rough around the edges and oftentimes ignored and not really loved on that way because of their own stupid choices they made, right? They're hard. So we started getting creative and we started asking as a team and brainstorming and praying and the thing that we came up with is really, really cool and our elders are supportive of it. Our church as a, as a budget planning, financial uh, behind the scenes is supportive of it. We in Pullman have rented a duplex right behind the church office by Safeway. It's a three bedroom, three bathroom with a garage. The purpose of this rental is to set it up as a house, a family environment, so that the supervisors have a place to come and bring the kids with the parents so they can sit in a living room and not the McDonald's playland so that they can cook their kids a meal, come prepared with food, come prepared to show, have a backyard to go out and play catch in, and they can focus on acting like a mom or a dad and, and reconnecting with their kid instead of freaking out and being stressed out of your gourd after six hours of pandemonium in the playland. Other stuff that's happened is the foster parent uh, support groups have found out because of the conversations through the caseworkers. They've found out that, that we have this available in town and nobody is doing anything like this. Nobody's helping meet these needs. And they're like, we need a place to have our foster parents get together and love on them. Can we use your duplex? It's already booked. We don't have a stitch of stuff in it yet. And there's already people in line ready to use it. We've been letting them use our church office to do supervised visits because it's available as we're getting ready and getting this duplex put together. Here's where we need your help. 
as a team, as a family at Real Life in Pullman, we want to give you an opportunity to partner with us in real, practical, simple ways where everybody can be a part of helping us love on these people. We want to deck out the duplex with the stuff that it needs. We're going to put food in there, dishes in there, furniture in there, all this stuff, right? So that when people walk in, it's a house, it's a home. They can focus on being a mom or a dad. In order to do that, we need everybody to step up to the plate and contribute the little nuts and bolts that you can. Now, here's what we did. First service, we had out there on the transformer, I don't know, close to 80 or 100 different items that we needed for the duplex. Y'all slept in. Because first service cleared it. So here's the thing. Here's what we're going we're gonna to need. There's all sorts of stuff we're going to need. There's stuff that's going to cost money. Um, next week, we're going to have out there some of the bigger ticket items that once we sort of find out what the holes are and what we don't have provided yet, we'll have bigger things that maybe a home group could partner and tackle together, like a, a sofa or something. You know, We'll figure that, those things out. But for today, what I would love for you guys to do is to... Um, are they out there? the cards with the words on them? No? <laughs> okay, I'm making it up as I go because they all disappeared. <laughs> this is, welcome to my marriage, people. <laughs> you know, a communication thing? That's where I like osmosis something as she was sitting by me and it didn't sink in. <laughs> I know none of you ever do that. So, here's what we're going to do. Out there on that deal are going to be the tithe envelopes because it's what we have available immediately right now because first service wrecked all my plans and stepped up to the plate. We're going to put them on the little clips out there on the board and, we'll, and they're going to say duplex on it. So this is not your tithe. This has nothing to do with tithe. This has to do with giving you guys an opportunity to play. If you can kick in five bucks, kick in five bucks, 10 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever you can kick in to help us supply stuff that we know are going to be needs as they come up in there, okay? My hope is that every single one of us gets to play a part in serving these families, all right? With that, we're going to wrap up. And so we're going to go ahead and pass those buckets real quick and uh, drop your connection cards in those. And then right after that, we're going to serve communion. And I just want to remind everybody at Real Life, we have an open table. And that means that anybody that wants to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us is welcome to take communion with us, okay? If you would hold on to the elements, and then in a few minutes, we're going to take communion together. All right, while they're passing those out, I want to kind of just take a look at some, some statements for you. They're going to be up on the screen, these implications. Learning how to minister is more caught than taught. Here's the deal. You can read a ton of books. You can hear a lot of sermons. But nothing sinks in like participating, like practicing, getting to be a part of serving other people. And for those of you that are parents, bringing your kids along with you to help you serve other people. There's nothing that will help teach them more than giving them a place to practice. Next one. The more you're ministered to, the more you want to minister to others. 
It's just a cool truth that when people love and serve you and meet needs and come alongside you and, and help you in ways that maybe you didn't even know you needed help, you can't help but want to help someone else. Next one. God provides opportunities all around us to minister and serve others. There is all sorts of ways for us to serve and minister to people in our own church. We talked a lot about them. There's also this really cool opportunity that God's showing us to serve and love people in our community. Last one. What are we as a church going to do with those opportunities? I can tell you what first service is going to do. I'm sorry, y'all, but they stepped up. It's awesome to be a part of a team that wants to work together to love people in our community. We get to do that. Why we do it is because of what Jesus first did for us. Because he showed us what it looks like to be a person that lays your life down for someone else. For our ultimate benefit, he sacrificed his life. We remember each and every week that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. And he said, as often as we get together, let's eat this in remembrance of him. In the same way, he took the cup. So this cup represents a, a new covenant, which is his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. As often as we get together, let's drink this in remembrance of him. We're going to close with some worship together. We're also going to have folks that are going to be off to the left and right available to pray with you. If there's anything you need prayer for, um, they would love to pray with you. So if you would, would you please stand and let's worship or go and pray. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com.